Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Merry Christmas! Christmas is, for most of us, the most wonderful time of the year. We enjoy community and fellowship, family and friends, giving gifts, and eating wonderful food. Christmas, however, is about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, remembering Jesus with thankful hearts of praise and worship. Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 2 and see what it means to glorify and praise God our Father for all that He's done for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Friday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully all are just loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus and growing in your relationship with Jesus. It's, uh, you know, growing in relationship with Jesus takes effort and it takes work and it takes intentionality. Um, but there's there's nothing in our lives that's of more value. There's nothing um, that will that's more productive. There's nothing to do in our lives that will be more productive in every aspect of our lives, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, than, than spending more time with Jesus and growing to know him better, growing to live for him more, growing to obey him more, and, and growing to, uh, to repent in the areas that we're not living for him. That is really the the meaning of what it means to live the Christian life. So today we're going to finish up Luke 2 and the story of the shepherds at, uh, you know, seeing Jesus at the, at the manger. Um, last time we got through around verse 10. So today I'm going to read from verses, from verse 8 to 20. And we'll just do a small review and then we'll get rolling right into it. And we've titled this The Heart of a Shepherd. Um, why is it that the Lord chose these men? Why did the Lord reveal himself to these men? Why did God send the angel to these men? He didn't send the angel to, to the chief priests or the Pharisees or the religious leaders. These shepherds would have been the lowest of society. But clearly they were the kind of men who were open, whose hearts were open to receiving this type of revelation and who wanted this type of revelation, who cared to have it. And obviously we know that Jesus is called the, the chief shepherd in First Peter uh, chapter 5. And so it's interesting that, that God reveals himself to, to shepherds at his birth, Jesus, God the Son, um, reveals himself to shepherds at his birth. And Jesus himself consistently called him a shepherd. And of course, we are his sheep and we are the flock. So, Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. We thank you for the scriptures, the word of God. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus our only Lord and Savior and Master and, and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, living a perfect life for us, dying a, a torturous death for us. 
We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and risen today, and we worship you today, our risen Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, Luke 2, verses 8 to 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So it's a story most of us have have heard all of our lives. Um, the story of the shepherds. We see the, the manger scenes, you know, all over the West, uh, you know, where we see the shepherds outside the, the manger looking on Jesus. Oftentimes we'll also see the wise men there, which is not scripturally accurate. Jesus is around two years old and he's in a house when the wise men get there. Um, but it's, it's an incredible story. But oftentimes, most oftentimes, when it's read and even when it's taught, it's simply taught as a, as a history book. And that's not why we have the Bible. The Bible is not given to us to inform us what happened. That's not its primary purpose. Certainly it does that. Certainly this is history and it's accurate. But Romans 15.4 tells us that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or instruct us so that by encouragement from the scriptures, we'd, we'd have hope. Um, and so when we look at this, it's not just so we can see how God worked in the hearts of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and what Jesus did and how he did it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, verse 8. And so in principle, we can see how the Lord moves here in principle is how he'll move in our lives. Right now, the circumstances are certainly going to be different. 
2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture, all of it, the entire Bible is God-breathed. It comes by the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit. And all scripture is useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and for training in righteousness so that we as Christians would be equipped to do the work the Lord has given us to do. All scripture is used, is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training us to do what's right and live a righteous life so that we would be better equipped by the word of God to do what the Lord has given us to do. Second Timothy 3 verse 16. So when we look at this story, we don't just read it as an interesting story, as a cool story, the way we would read, you know, the history of the United States or what happened in the Revolutionary War or what happened in the Civil War or what happened in the, when Columbus came to America or whatever the history is in America or in your country, wherever you're, you are, if you're in Europe or you're in Britain or you're in Italy or you're in China or you're in Singapore, you know, when you learn about the history of your country when you go to school, okay? That's not what this is primarily for. And oftentimes in the church today, that's what we've made it. As I said, it certainly does that. But it's infinitely more than that. The history of the United States is not the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. And Romans 15, 4 says that it's written to teach us or instruct us so that by that instruction, when we see this, we want to see what's here to teach us or instruct us, not just inform us. Uh, we would be encouraged to have hope. Second Timothy 3.16 is I want to look in here. I want to see what's happening inside this, this story in these scriptures. And I want to see what's in here to teach me, to correct me, to rebuke me, since I don't listen to correction. And to train me in righteousness, right? The Bible, that's 2 Timothy 3.16. The Bible, in the scriptures, there are three kinds of righteousness. When we talk about the word righteous, there is self-righteous, there's imputed righteousness, and then there's lifestyle righteousness. What we're talking about here is lifestyle righteousness, how we live our life trying to do what's right and correct more and more and more and more in every way. Um... Self-righteousness is a righteousness where we're trying to be made right with God. We're trying to get to heaven by our own righteous deeds and works. It will never work. Okay. We cannot attain heaven by our own good works or our own righteous life. It will never work. We should have a lifestyle of righteousness, but in no way can we trust in that or in no way can that help us get to heaven. And the middle one, the second one, is imputed righteousness. And what that is, is that when we've trusted in Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior, when we've humbled ourselves before Jesus, knowing our desperate need for him, knowing our hopelessness and helplessness without him, knowing that he is our only hope, only hope to escape hell, the only way to have our sins forgiven and ultimately go to heaven when we die. And out of that heart, we go before Jesus and we trust in him and we call on the name of the Lord out of that heart 
Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not just puppeting words. It doesn't mean anything. But when you call out to him, knowing your desperate need of him, placing your full trust and confidence and reliance in him, clinging to him for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. And out of that heart saying, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinful person. Lord, I know that I'm hopeless and helpless, but I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you came and lived a perfect life for me and died a torturous death on the cross for me. And Lord Jesus, I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, I ask you now to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and confidence and trust in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian. Again, we use the words. It's not words that save us, right? It's Christ that saves us, but it has to be a genuine heart when we give our lives to Christ. Um, when that happens, we receive what's called imputed righteousness, the very righteous life that Jesus lived when he walked the earth. When Jesus walked the earth in his 33 and a half years, he lived an actual perfect righteous life. And so when we put our trust in Christ, there's this incredible exchange. It's unthinkable. It's amazing. It's the greatest thing ever, ever. That perfect righteous life that Jesus lived, Corinne, when we have genuine faith in Christ, that perfect righteous life he lived when he walked the earth is credited to me in all of my sin and disobedience and selfishness and wickedness is credited to Jesus at the cross. That exchange is the very heart of the Christian gospel. It's incredible. Hence, imputed righteousness. When the righteous life of Jesus Christ that he lived, is lived on earth is credited to me as if I lived that perfect righteous life, and all of my sin and disobedience, past, present, and future, is credited to Jesus at the cross. It's incredible. It's incredible. That's imputed righteousness. So, three kinds of righteousness. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. So, that's how we want to use this scripture. Okay? That's how we want to use all scriptures. We want to see what it's here to teach us and instruct us. We want to see where it's here to teach us, correct us, rebuke us, and train us in righteousness. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. They're just doing their job. They're shepherds. They're simple men. They're the lowest of society, right? They're not caught up in worldly status. They're certainly not caught up in notoriety. Uh, they're not caught up in the world a whole lot, okay? Now, again, um, they're not any less sinful than the rest of us. But the point is that oftentimes when you and I, as we generally are in our culture, even in our church culture, almost entirely caught up in the world. And we are caught up in the things of the world and having nice homes and nice cars and comfortable lifestyles and good jobs and, and all the things we chase after, right? More and more money. Um, and again, all of these things in themselves are not sinful. But when these are our focus, these are our desire, right? to have a more comfortable worldly life. And that is our primary focus, um, you know, along with 
you know, having more notoriety or, or even fame or any of these things, then we're really not receptive to the things of God or the word of God and the kingdom of God. A shepherd doesn't have that problem. Um, a shepherd is living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They were in terror. Sometimes, you know, we, we think we want a visitation from the Lord, right? We, we don't know what it would be like. Because one angel comes to them, and they are in terror. They think they could die at any moment. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, as they seemingly always do, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Last time I said, you know, Uncle Dennis, it seems like, like this has gotten a little bit commonplace to us, God forbid. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that a savior has been born, which is what we desperately need, that good news ought to drive us to great joy. And, and frankly, it's it, I'm not as joyful about it as I ought to be. You know, we've, we've heard of this our whole lives, and it seems like, doesn't seem like, it is. It is something that's become commonplace to us. And, it, and Father, I ask you to forgive us. Forgive me where we have made, uh, where just the story of Christmas has just become something we go about and just hear about year after year after year after year, Lord. I ask you to, to bring us back to a place, Father, in humility, to where we would really experience the overwhelming and overpowering and incredible joy of what it means to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, so yeah, we really do want to apply ourselves to and, and pray that we would experience, right, Peyton, the, the great joy. You know, I bring you good news of great joy. Like when, when, when we practice introspection, right, Kristen, when we look inside of ourselves, Melanie, you know, is the Christmas season, is the Advent a time of, of great joy for us? And sometimes it is, but, it, but it's not because of Jesus, right? We just enjoy the camaraderie of Christmas, which is wonderful. The holiday season for most of us is a fun time and an enjoyable time. But really what ought to bring us joy, even great joy, is understanding and celebrating that our Savior has been born. And a Savior is what we desperately needed. We... we we didn't need a counselor, although counselors are fine. Didn't need one. Uh, we didn't need a teacher, although teachers are fine. We certainly didn't need a preacher, although preachers are fine. We needed a savior. We were in desperate need of a savior. All those other things are good. I was studying this this morning, and I was reading one guy that made this point, but all these other things are good, whether they be counselors or, you know, whether they be teachers or whether they be preachers or, or whatever other errs they are. 
But what we needed is a savior to save us from our sin, to save us from eternal hell and separation from, from the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Try to get a picture of this scene. The shepherds are already overwhelmed with the one angel that has appeared. And with the angel comes the glory of God around the angel and around the shepherds. And it says they were terrified, in terror, right? Believing that their life could end at any moment. And then after the angel tells them that the Savior has been born and this will be assigned to you, verse 13 says, suddenly, suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts. We don't know how many this is. It could have been 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100, because a company is what, between 20 and 60? This is a great company. So we don't know how many, but they appear. And when they appear, they just explode praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. What is it that the angels know that we don't? It's clear the angels know something or are experiencing something or understand something that we really don't understand in the world today, right? Because as I've said, we don't have this just, just almost natural explosion of praise and worship and thanksgiving and of just incredible thankful praise and worship to God because our Savior is there. The angels understand that this baby that, that's there in the manger is their God, the God who created them. And they say, glory to God in the highest number one, which is, as a side note, that should be our, our highest desire to bring glory to God for who he is and all he's done and all he will do. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three separate beings, the triune God. Our heart ought to bring glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by everything we say and everything we do. They say glory to God in the highest, first of all, because of who this child is. But then they say this interesting statement, Leah, and on earth peace to men which means humanity, and on earth peace to men and women on whom his favor rests. The reason God's favor rests on humanity is because he sent the Savior, Jesus, God the Son, to live a perfect life for us and die a torturous death for us and to be raised from the dead, completing the work of redemption that in Christ in receiving Christ as our Savior, 
we would be forgiven of our sins, come into relationship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and ultimately go and spend eternity in heaven with the triune God when we die and leave this life. It's peace to us because without Jesus, we're at war with God. We're enemies of God, Romans 5 tells us, right? We were enemies without Christ. A holy God cannot partner with sin. And as human beings, the Bible says we are all sinful. Romans 3.23 says that all human beings are sinful and fall short of God's holy standard. But in receiving Christ, we go from being his enemies, going from being at war with him to, to having peace with him in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in Jesus that, that reconciliation comes to the human race and to the triune eternal God. And that's what we need. If you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, go back to the beginning where I talked about what it means to become a Christian and how to become a Christian and give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you do, you will have peace with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All of your sins will be forgiven, paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ by Jesus. And that, that is favor to us. That is favor beyond anything we could ever imagine. That's more favor than a good job or a good house or healthy children or everything we want. The favor we need is that the Savior has been born. Wow. Father, I ask you to help us or to give us revelation or just whatever it is, Father, that can help us understand, deeply understand what it is that the angels understand that causes just spontaneous eruption of praise and worship and thanksgiving without even trying. Father, forgive me that that's, that's really not the case in my life. Lord, I do ask you to help us that our worship and our praise and our thanksgiving could just erupt in a spontaneous way because we are just so genuinely and truly overjoyed or have great joy in considering and thinking about the birth of our Savior and all he's done. Help us, Father. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven. So you see angels go to heaven, y'all, right? Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, that's where they reside. We reside on earth. They reside in heaven. But we do see that angels can enter into the earth, right? Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, the last verse, says that they're, they are sent to minister to us. They can come into the world and do come into the world to, to help human beings. The holy angels do. There are also fallen angels that are demons that oppress humanity. That's a whole other teaching. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The Bible is the word of God. Okay, the Bible is the word of God. It's the revelation that the Lord has given us about himself and about how he deals with humanity. Okay, 
When we open the New Testament, we see the Savior, Jesus, that was promised in the Old Testament. And when we get this revelation, when we read our Bible and study our Bible, we ought to have a heart to immediately go see how we can walk it out better. Look at these shepherds. Do you have the heart of a shepherd? Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16, so they hurried off, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When you study your word, do you have the heart of these shepherds? Do you have the heart of a shepherd, right? They get the revelation from the angel. The angel gives them the word of God, tells them what's happened, explains to them what's happened. So they have received the word of God. And what do they do? They hurry off to go apply what's been told them. They hurry off to go see what's happened. They hurry off to go find out and experience what the angel had just told them. The angel gave them instructions and they hurry off to follow the instructions. What are we saying? Do you have the heart of a shepherd that when you receive the word of God, when you receive revelation from the Lord in the scriptures, do you have this heart to hurry off and go apply it and to go put it into action? Regrettably, most of us don't because, as I said earlier, we are, we are very bound up and attracted very much to the things of this world. Now, again, it's good to have a house. It's good to have a vehicle. You know, you do need to work and, and have a job, but that ought not be our, our, our identity and our focus. The shepherds weren't distracted with all these things. You and I want to get to a place, and often I'm not, but I need to be, Father, forgive me, to where, again, when we have a revelation in the Word of God, when the Lord shows us something in the Scriptures, either by us reading them and studying them, or whether you're in church, or whether you're listening to a teaching like this online and you're convicted, you want to hurry off and put into practice what you just learned. You don't want to delay your obedience. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. My, my, my. I don't know if we have any evangelists like this in the church. I hope we do. But do you have a heart? Verse 17, the heart of a shepherd. When they had seen him, when they saw Jesus, have you seen Jesus today? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? Are you trusting in Christ, living for Christ, loving Christ? Because when they had seen him, immediately they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Every one of us, as Christians, ought to have a heart like these shepherds to spread the word concerning Jesus, to spread the word about what the Bible says about Jesus, to spread the word of the goodness and the love and the mercy that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you have the heart 
of a shepherd. These shepherds immediately began to tell others about Jesus and what Jesus has done. Father, help us. Again, I ask you to help us, Father, again, to have a, to have a heart like these shepherds to, to more and more spread the word of who Jesus is and, and what he's done and, and to testify about what he's done in our lives. Revelation 12, 11 says they, they overcame by the blood of the lamb. It's always Jesus first, but it says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Are you consistently testifying about what Jesus has done? Right? There are a lot of ways you can spread the word about Jesus, right? You can, you can encourage people and talk about Jesus. You can actually just say the name Jesus. You can, you can have some good sound gospel tracks, right? We have them at our website at kingdomd.org. There are uh, three different tracks that we've put together. Um, they're all free. You can just click on them and print them. Right, you can give them away. You can hand them to people. You can leave them on a on a car window. Right, um, it's a good thing. What they're doing is when someone finds that and the spirit of God moves, and you've that literature you've given them, you may not even know them. They may never see you in this life, but you're sowing the seed of the gospel on their hearts. Obviously, encouraging people to be in their Bible and study the Word of God about Jesus. You know, um, when you're, if you're in a good, solid Bible-based church that is teaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God in a way that it's here, uh, not only to tell you about it, um, but to instruct you and teach you and correct you and rebuke you and to train you in righteousness. Obviously, when again, when you listen to, to Bible-based teachings like this online or on podcasts, right, and you share them with others, Anthony, do you have a heart? to spread the word concerning what you learned about Jesus as these shepherds did. Now, this is a little different. Verse 18 says, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Oftentimes when I'm talking to someone about Jesus, they're not amazed because they've heard it before. But the gospel, right? Romans 1, um, you know, 16 and 17, right? Um, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And, you know, oftentimes people aren't amazed at it anymore, but I'll tell you, when you come to a revelation of who Christ is and how desperately you need him, it will start to be more and more amazing to you, but to the world, it's often not amazing. But when the Lord does a work in their heart and they receive Christ, it really becomes the most amazing unimaginable, most wonderful thing ever. Lord, help us again to see the, the deep and amazing and wonderful truths we have in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is an interesting statement. Luke, the writer of the gospel, moved by the Holy Spirit, kind of just inserts this in here. You know, this incredible story, Mary has just given birth to Jesus. Joseph is there. The shepherds come. Remember, the only people that we know of that see Jesus on the day of his birth is Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. Um, and again, 
It's not that the Lord likes shepherds more than anyone else, but the shepherds are the one who had room for the revelation of Christ. Do you have room for the revelation of Jesus Christ? Or are you more concerned about everything else in this life? All the things of the world and money and work and family and all those other things. All those things are good and important. But above all those things, infinitely above all, is to have room for Jesus Christ more and more and more and more. I said it last time. Jesus was not revealed to the preachers or to the teachers or to the ministers or to the pastors or to the elders or to the bishops or to the popes. You know, he was revealed to shepherds, simple men. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Again, it's just a... Um, it's just kind of a uh, inserted fact here about the heart of Mary. We have said over and over and over again that Mary is just a picture of an incredible woman of God. More than that, she's just a picture to all of us as men and women of what godly character is. And we see this consistently in the scriptures referencing Mary. And undoubtedly, this is why she's chosen to be the earthly mother of Jesus, God the Son. Now, again, we don't worship Mary. Um, we don't pray to Mary, um, you know, but we do see her as, again, this incredible example to all of us as men and women of what godly character looks like. So when the shepherds are there, the scripture, the spirit of God moves on Luke to include this, but Mary treasured up all these things things and pondered them in her heart. What, what, what do you treasure up? Have you been treasuring up and pondering all that the Lord has done? Have you been treasuring up, storing up and thinking about pondering all that the Lord has done in your life? Do you treasure up and meditate on the scriptures and store them up, up, store them up in your heart and think about them and pray about them and just thank the Lord for them. But Mary, put your name in there. Would it, would it, can it say about you, but Tom is treasuring up all the things that the Lord is doing? Does it say, but Jose is treasuring up all the things the Lord is doing? But Mary treasured up. May, are you treasuring up? Are the works of the Lord and the things that the Lord does in your life, are they a treasure to you? Are you even aware of them? Most of us, it's not a treasure. We don't see it as a treasure. We're not even aware of it. We need to treasure up the things of God. So when these shepherds come, Mary is contemplating it. She's thinking about it. And she's storing it up in her heart. And we want to be the kind of Christians like Mary who treasure up the things the Lord has done in the word of God, the revelation we're given in the word of God, and we want to ponder them. We want to think about them as well as the things he's done in our lives. Remember, Revelation 12, 11, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Always Jesus first, the blood of the lamb, but then testifying about what Jesus did and how he did it. Verse 20. Again, the heart of a shepherd. The shepherds returned, 
glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Do you have a heart that consistently is glorifying and praising God for all the things that he's done in your life, beginning with your Savior, Jesus Christ? The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen. Father, you've done so much in our lives and we worship you. We praise you. We love you and we thank you. Father, we ask you to help us to have a heart like these shepherds have. A heart that would glorify you and praise you for Jesus. And that you've given us eyes to see Jesus, ears to hear Jesus, hearts to understand Jesus and receive Jesus. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we praise you. And we bow before you, Lord, our King. We celebrate your birth, Lord, and we thank you that you are God who created this world, would enter into this world on behalf of us, a sinful people. And that you would take on a human form and live as a man and live a perfect life for us and die a perfect, torturous death for us. We worship you, our risen Savior, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us as we go forward now. Drive our hearts and help us to be a people that will go forward glorifying and praising God for all the things we've heard and seen, which is just as the word of God says. Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you for your word. We worship you, Jesus, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.